Right, hello, welcome back to the Cine Skinny. It is, this week, just Peter and Jamie. Hello. Because, for various reasons, we're not in the studio. We have something very uh, interesting that Jamie did at Glasgow Film Festival that we are going to put out in lieu of a quote-unquote proper episode. Yeah, this is our pre-baits, oven-ready interview. This one's been in the freezer. We just need to stick it in on uh, 200 for 20 minutes. So Jamie at GFF spoke to Carol Morley, director of The Falling, Dreams of a Life, and new film typist artist Pirate King. Talked a bit about the film, a bit about some of the stuff in Carol Morley's back catalogue, and about some other interesting and good female directors. But before we get started, Jamie, what is typist artist Pirate King, other than quite difficult to say, when you know you've only got the meeting room for another 11 minutes. It is. It's a, a bit of a surprise from Caramolli. But then she is a filmmaker who always surprises me. She uh, makes all types of films. And this is a kind of road movie. It's about uh, an underground artist called Audrey Amos who had schizophrenia. Uh, Morley, as you'll discover in the interview, discovered her um, in the archives and she wanted to make a film about her. So the film is a kind of an imagined road journey that Audrey took with her nurse which didn't really happen, but she imagines what she would have done near the end of her life to try and sort of... Because she's an artist who never got the recognition and Morley's film is trying to give her recognition, but so she's also imagining how um, Amos herself might have tried to do that um, near the end of her life. So, yeah, it's just a kind of interesting, imaginative way of doing it. One thing about um, Amos's condition is that she has this syndrome where she thinks who she's speaking to are people from her past. So uh, Morley uses that really interestingly in that she'll meet um, someone on the road and then it's almost like a mini flashback because we hear a bit about her past life, you know, her life before she was an artist. So she uses that technique quite a lot. Um, The film is very funny. Uh, Monica Dolan plays uh, uh, Audrey Amos. Um, She's like, uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting, fun performance. Um, But she's paired with a kind of with Kelly McDonald, who's more of the straight man. She's like the the nurse who's driving her to uh, on this journey from uh, London to Sunderland. It was a really fun, interesting film. It's not got distribution yet, so it's a film that we hope will be coming out um, later in the year, but uh, it went down really well um, in Glasgow, that's for sure. Nice. And yeah, this was recorded at Glasgow Film Festival. We also recorded an interview with the guys from How to Block a Pipeline, which is out a week on Friday as you're listening to this, so you can go back in the feed and find that. Just search for how to blow up a pipeline and wait for the feds to come and get you. There was something in America, just to go completely off topic to anyone who's listening, I think it was in Kansas that the police were like, oh, we're concerned this how to blow up a pipeline film is a security risk, even though it's protected by the American like freedom of speech rules and there's nothing specific about it. They were just like, we don't like it because it implies that blowing up pipelines might be good and cool. I mean, it does make blowing up pipelines look good and cool, so they have a point. Yeah. Um, but... Who would have thought it? The cops were right, but for reasons they never fully understood. Um, so before we get into the chat, a couple of things to plug. We've still got screenings coming up at Summer Hall and CCA, uh, the skinny.co.uk slash tickets to get the last few tickets for Return to Soul and Matinee. I also wanted to flag up a couple of things that are on in the next week or so. There's a new series at the GFT called What Are You Eating? which is all about food in East Asian cinema, and that kicks off on the 20th with Ang Lee's Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Ah. It's a kind of like family dinner, family drama, throp family. Is that not the sexy one? I don't think I've seen that one yet. No, I don't think it is the sexy one. Not from the description I've read. Maybe I'm mixed up. But that's part of a three-film series at the GFT. 
And then at the cameo in Edinburgh on the 17th of April, the heroic trio, which is Johnny Toe from 1993 with Maggie Chung, Anita Mew and Michelle Yeoh, who team up to defeat a, quote, evil baby-snatching eunuch terrorising the streets of Hong Kong. That sounds good. If there's a better way to segue into an interview with Carol Morley, I'd like to hear it. Here's Jamie and Carol Morley. Bye. Welcome back to Glasgow. Become a bit of a regular here, haven't you? I know. I love it here. I love the. I love the festival. It's just really great audiences and the volunteers, and the films that are on. It, it, it's always so magical, and it feels like a proper festival feel. And obviously, their catchphrase or whatever you call it is, it's a festival for audiences. And it is true. You feel like every everybody can come and see the films. And also, like today, I've done about 28 things because you can get around so easily, which is very useful. Yes. <laughs> so actually, I'm thinking I should come and film here. Cause so, it's, so, so what you've been up to? You've been, you've been seeing Glasgow? What you've been working on? Um, so, yeah, so I got in yesterday on the sleeper train. Okay. So you'll sort of like emerge at 7.30 in the morning. And, and I didn't have a hotel, so at that point, obviously you can't check in nowadays till about four. But, and then we went around the park and we went in the museum. Nice. And uh, we went in a beautiful Italian cafe, I can't remember what it was called, and I had a pistachio and rhubarb pastry. Oh, it was like a beautiful Glasgow <laughs> day. It was beautiful. <laughs> so, okay, what I really love about your films yeah. is I never know what to expect next. Um, you know, you seem to like mixing up styles and genres. Uh, is that intentional or is that just how it naturally comes with you? Yeah, no, none of it. The intentionality is really, there. obviously there is intention, but the intention is not to mix it up or be different or do, so, but the intentionality more emerges from uh, the story I want to tell. So I'll, I'll go back to Dreams of a Life because Dreams of a Life about Joyce Vincent who, who lay dead in her flat for three years be, before she was discovered. It was a story that was kind of in itself so powerful, but they had to to sort of find a way to tell it that was respectful to Joyce as who she had been, but also enabled people around her to talk about her, but also to give space to the places we didn't know. And, And so that's how the form of that film emerges. And some people actually see it as a film noir, you know. But I feel like for me, the intentionality is here is a story I want to tell, what is the right way to tell it? So I've always been quite anti-imposing a directorial style. So I think I probably have a directorial thematic more than a style. But I think my style is, if I did was to have a style, it was, I don't know if it is a style, but it's more to let the story dictate and the characters dictate and the colours come from the character and the colours come from the story and the framing as well. So I feel I always um, want to feel it's a very organic process of intentionality, but then by the end it becomes very deliberate. So then for this one, um, well, first of all, maybe just yeah. it'd be interesting how you yeah. came across Audrey Ames' work initially. Yeah, so I was really lucky because I was awarded um, a Welcome Screenwriting Fellowship. So Welcome are based in London, but they're a, a worldwide known uh, scientific charity. The big, I think they are the biggest charity in the world. And Welcome, they're more to do with health and the mind, if you see what I mean. And, and there are physical things, but it's not scientific as in atoms and stuff like that and I got this fellowship there and I was really keen to look at a first person point of view 
rather than a psychiatrist, for example, looking at a patient. Because obviously they have lots of archives like that at Welcome, which are really interesting. And, and I was talking to someone, I said, I really want to find a first person, uh, like first person... Uh, look into a life but obviously there's data protection so you can't necessarily open up um, files from a hospital and all of that and and this person who was a Gillian Scudden and she was at the time like a liaison person between people that wanted to make films and TV at well that came to welcome uh, she's now at BFI anyway she said I think there's something here by this woman who collected wrappers of everything she ever ate every day and I said, I want to find it. And then she didn't know the name. And then through a process of introducing me to the archivist, I found out it was Audrey Amos. And her archive had been taken on after she died in 2013, but it hadn't been catalogued for three years. So when I began to look at it, it was not in any order. <laughs> so there was one brilliant box that was just the contents of her, or the you know surface of her coffee table swiped into, into a, a, a box. And it, within that box, there was her passport and her old passport where you used to have to put your occupation and she put typist artist pirate king so that's how she defined herself and I thought oh my god it's amazing so she left but Audrey Amos was born in Sunderland in the, in the 1930s studied at the Royal Academy of Arts uh, in London in the 50s studied painting and then had a breakdown in her last year and became a revolving door psychiatric patient and after that learned to type and so worked as a typist all her adult life but carried on painting. So after she died, just short of her 80th birthday, her nephew and niece went in her flat and found 50,000 sketches, all her diaries and her scrapbooks of food wrappers all annotated and that was donated to welcome in a, in a they didn't know what to do with it the niece met someone at a school gate and another parent and said I've got all this stuff and she went I work at welcome I'm not in the right department but I'll ask around and that's how it got there and since I've been looking at it it's now been preserved it's going to be you know it's been catalogued people will be able to find it no one will ever look at it again like I did with the biscuit crumbs and the insects <laughs> and uh, the various things that fell out pen tops and 10 peas and missing items uh, that was very exciting uh, but it, it's brilliant because it will get preserved forever and my fascination with it was this first person account of her life so Audrey was the kind of person that you know some people might cross the road to avoid because she's walking along with lots of bags talking out loud but then you open up the diary and you see this personal insight into who she was, very erudite, really clever, really just had a beautiful take on the world. So I really, in the end, after doing a lot of research into her and meeting her family, I realised I didn't want to make a documentary. I wanted it to be her voice. So that's what the film is, really. It's like unleashing Audrey's voice into the world. It's a road trip. Monica Dolan plays Audrey Amos. Kelly MacDonald plays her psychiatric nurse, Sandra Panza. Little reference to Don Quixote there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a few references there. Well, that's yeah. that's the thing. So I guess, yeah. is that what, what you, you saw then? So you say you plan your style around your subject. So you've chosen this quixotic, uh, you know, Don Quixote-esque story. Did that come straight away? Does that is that was was obvious to you? Like- no, because I feel you 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 have to get to know your subject, your person, the the kind of environments they were in. So you, it's a process of getting to know that person. And I think I maybe had three different ways uh, I wanted to tell that story, and then this is the one that survived. 
uh, the road movie. And because Audrey did liken herself to Don Quixote, or she said she said her good friend Brian. She went, my good friend Brian likened me to Don Quixote. I think he's I think he's right. I'm a bit batty, as she, her own words, but there's method in my madness. And so this idea of her being heroic, and, the, and, and I suppose that she, she always believed, you know, according to her family, according to her diaries, she always believed she was right. Like Don Quixote, he saw, he saw windmills. Uh, I mean, he saw giants, uh, you know, um, not, not um, windmills. So I feel like that there was that element to it as well that, how we see things, how we perceive things, how we resist what other people see because we say, no, it's not there. Yeah. So I love this idea of it be, having this sort of Don Quixote aspect. Well, it seems to be quite a refreshing um, look at mental illness because I guess, you know, there's no suggestion that Audrey has to overcome her problems to have a better life or something like that. It's, it's very much saying this is the way she lives yeah. and it's part of her art, it's part of her life, you know, so like it almost it's the kind of R.D. Lang idea of mental illness that it's not something to be you know battered with like um medication or anything like that it's something that society has to kind of work around yeah because in my in my research i also met psychiatrists and psychologists and what i found really interesting is if someone to look at you you know this is how they explained it to me if i was to look at you now and and i said i love your yellow jumper and what would you say it's not yellow it's pink it's pink yeah. but i would go no no it's yellow that's the yellow jumper. And then you would start to get more and more aggravated because for you, it's a pink jumper, it's not yellow. And so it's as sort of simple as that in a way, our lack of being able to to kind of take on board other people's, whether mentally ill or not, just say, okay, actually, I'm not going to resist what you're saying because you believe it. So if you believe it and I accept it, we're probably going to probably going to be an easier time of it. Of course, you know, it's really complicated about medication. Audrey definitely in the last few years of her life was not on medication. She didn't like it. But for then other people, they say it's better than she was on medication. Uh, some people. So, so I think the, 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 it's very complex, the medication. And for some people that are on medication, they really like it or they find it really helpful is the better words so it seems to me that that what what is um lacking a lot of the time is time time to get the medication or not medication right time to be able to know the individual and the psychiatrist i met one in particular he said i I got into this profession to heal people and i soon realized that actually it was to section people and to do you know the government thing of, of 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 reading someone their section to 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 put them uh, into a, ment- a mental ward or you know psychiatric ward so i feel like it's so complicated that in the film i didn't want to create which is why there is a conversation between psychiatry his kelly mcdonald's character and um the person within who has been within the psychiatric world audrey because then you see how compli- complicated it is for both sides and it's not just pointing the finger and for me I want I really genuinely wanted to celebrate Audrey as a person and so some of the things so for instance she within her diaries that emerged she had what psychiatrists would call people misidentification syndrome which is where she would see you for instance and think oh you're you were her headmistress from the 19 uh, you know 40s and I really found that very interesting. So in the film, I incorporate that. So the form of the film is because of how Audrey saw the world. So when she's on the trip, as you know, instead of, say, a biopic would have a flashback to a childhood memory, 
Instead, she meets someone on the road trip and they suddenly trigger a memory from when she was at school or something like that. So it emerges in a way that is closer to her um, take on the world. Yeah. And what's interesting is some people play along with it and it seems to help her and some yeah. people obviously go against it and that's that's when her stresses become yeah. exasperated. So again it's that resistance, you know, and, and at what point why do we resist it in a way? Like yeah. <laughs> it's all to do with perception, you know, it's all to do with perception in a way of how uh, how we uh, you know kind of navigate the world and I think we all probably see very differently than each other, but the the level of socialization we receive you know, so someone steps out of that and goes, I resist, I want to see it a different way. They are kind of quite challenging to people. And the film's also making a comment about the kind of uh, lack of support that like caring community has and uh, uh, Kelly McDonald's character says, you know, maybe back in the day when we put people in asylums, at least there was money for that. But now uh, the idea of care community is great, but only if you can fund it and only if you can take care of people. Exactly, and it's massively underfunded as we know. So they're, they're, it, it's really difficult to for people who need um, support to get it in, in a, any kind of significant way and then also for the people giving it they're not giving necessarily as much as they'd like to yeah. so it's really difficult really complicated I think it's also a film about art and the kind of importance of art and I think even Audrey at one point says art is not a luxury you know um, so yeah it seems like that's something that's important to you yeah I mean first and foremost I really wanted it to be about Audrey as an artist and that the sense of the piece is that you know I, I'm I might not have long I want to go I want to get recognition and have an art show and that that's really the simple kind of pull through the film that here's somebody that you know really really finally wants to make sure that her work is on show and for Audrey and for the character the doing the work is really important and and gives them a means to live and gives a reason to live but the idea of recognition and sort of other people seeing it is important as well and that that comes into it and I think there is that idea of what is good art what is art what does it mean what does it mean to be an artist um, but not maybe as sort of kind of strong as saying is art therapeutic because I find that slightly patronising even though art therapy is amazing but Audrey was an artist first and foremost before you know and then her life circumstances were what they were and I also love how you just incorporate her art into the film as well with these little montages. And, and what's interesting, her art is so varied, you know, so you've got the kind of, she can do the kind of realist, classical kind of portraiture, but then she does these, these amazing kind of little uh, kind of abstract kind of mood pieces. And then, of, of, as you say, this kind of amazing diary that she created where she put like fudge wrappers and cornettos into like... Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, she said... Um she said something like, I used to be in the kitchen school sink of realism, but now I'm avant-garde and misunderstood. And what, what is like really interesting is that her art, like every artist, their art changes, and hers definitely did, and she kind of threw away um, the tour element, and she would draw with her eyes closed and try different experiments. So I, her art became more free and, and, and possibly conceptually more interesting, even though the early art shows just how um, technical she was. Uh, she And she was so funny, and, and some of the later drawings are, are so funny. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, really exciting to, to see the art in the film. And, and actually, that is a, 
how do you show art in a film? Because that that was a question. And then I thought, actually, you know, I've seen the films and they're very good, no disrespect, but you know where they maybe animate some of the art and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, actually, in this, I just want full frame, simple, and the audience get to see it like it's on the wall of a gallery. And it's not, you know, we're not reframing it or zooming into elements or tracking in. So it's just sort of presented very simply. And you mentioned how funny... Audrey, I think you must have had a lot of fun coming up with her dialogue. Uh, well, <laughs> in fact, because I, I read all of her diaries, I deciphered all of her diaries. And then um, I got to, you know, well, during that time, I got to know the family. And Audrey's niece, Kate, she said, when I met them, I started to talk like Audrey. Not 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 the accent, but in the kind of expressions, I'd say. Because she'd have certain expressions. And she went... Audrey would say that you're talking like Audrey so there was something about Audrey like it not only be that she was so funny but it'd be the delivery Mm -hmm. of those lines and she was always right and that's brilliant too because she was really uncompromising woman and she was I found her old school reports as well and she was very shy as a child and it would say Audrey needs more sparkle and then later on she was standing on speaker's corner and going up the road and speaking wherever she could so I love her for that because it's almost as though as a woman she found her voice and and she she was uncompromising and wanted to speak out she's really really empowering yeah but she has this kind of just the most amazing insults you know she's great at swearing she's a very creative swearer I thought so it'd be like son of a biscuit eater and that was from her diaries and so they'd be like these I just love son of a biscuit eater and uh yeah so she she uh language and she talks about jargonese as well because she works in the civil service so sometimes she'll come out with jargonese but yeah (laughs) so i i sort of found her voice you know and uh from reading so much of uh, well reading everything she left behind and talking to the family and things like kate the niece would say she she worked in a restaurant at one point and she'd go off on a break and come back and one of her colleagues would say, oh, you had a visitor earlier. They they said they tied their horse up outside and they came in and they had an American accent and she went, that was my Aunt Audrey. So she liked to put accents on as well. <laughs> and, and Monica Dolan is uh, quite wonderful, I think. And obviously you worked with her before. Um, she was the teacher. One yeah, of the, my one headmistress. Of the, oh, the headmistress, Miss sorry. Miss in um, the falling. Exactly, she's yeah. fantastic in that. So why did you want her for the role? Um, well, I think Monica is... So, you know, one of the finest actors of her generation. She's just so perceptive. And, you know, she's a very, she's a real chameleon and she looks different in everything she does. And of course there is an element, you know, a very, you know, very good hair, makeup, all the other things you need. But her transformation comes from within, most definitely. So she finds that character and she finds something and she, she goes so deep and you are... And, and what I wanted to make sure I did you know in collaboration with Monica because because I had done so much research into Audrey I also wanted to give Monica freedom to 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 bring other aspects to Audrey as well so Monica's very keen on the script she says because she writes so she's like if it's on the script there is a reason and she only likes to do it the way it's written in the script and she will interrogate each line with me she will she will ask all about it and then there's something else happens so it's not improvisational in terms of the dialogue but it's some i'd call it an energy a kind of clarity and something kind of mysterious that that emerges in one which makes her such an incredible actress so i it would be impossible not to want to work with her but i knew that she would take audrey and 
make her into the person possibly she was, but, but more than that, the energy Audrey was. It wasn't an impersonation of Audrey, like we'll stick the same glasses on and we'll stick the same hair. It was more a kind of a kind of t- embodying it rather than a lookalike. And but then in a way, it took her, it took Monica closer, I think. Yeah, yeah. and there's a lovely chemistry as well between oh. Kelly, who's like almost the kind of straight man to yeah. her. Yeah, they and they became because they'd never met before, so they they became really good friends. And, um, and it's be- it was beautiful to see. And they, they put everything into it. And I know for Kelly, it was like, she just loved it. And she felt, she said we were the three witches, uh, me and her and Monica. And it did feel that way. It feels like sometimes you pre- prepare, 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 say, you prepare, and then you have to let go. You just have to let go and then other things happen. But yeah, so the two of them together was an absolute joy. I guess this is you again bringing an unknown artist to uh, the fore because you've just recently done that radio show, uh, radio program about Muriel Box, which who was the pioneering uh, British filmmaker who kind of fell through the cracks and hasn't really been given the recognition she deserves. Is this something you're you're interested in, sort of finding, especially female artists who have just been sort of ignored or not given the the recognition they deserve? Yeah, I mean, I feel that as a woman, you're always conscious of. I think it's harder for, you know, like, I hear things on the radio and it's like, you know, some national institution in Britain has never had a show by women artists. So Muriel Box, who you mentioned, Muriel Box uh, was Britain's most prolific woman director. I mean, she not was, she still is. So she's, and that was in the 50s and early 60s, and she's never had a retrospective of work in, in this country. This is going to be addressed in G, uh, in May at the BFI uh, South Bank, hopefully a regional tour. But um, but but when when I made Dreams of a Life, it was you know my fascination with women that fall through the cracks was definitely there, and it was before. I remember I made a short film called I'm Not Here in the early nineties about women shop girls. <laughs> so it's like the idea of invisibility. The idea of kind of somehow not being noticed, somehow not being important enough, all these kind of things have are sort of definitely interesting. I think with the Muriel box, I just began to feel outraged. More and more, a kind of sense of outrage and injustice. The injustice of it is is really uh, motivating. And and now I've just decided, like with the Muriel box, is like I'm I, I'm going to do everything I can for Muriel box for Audrey Amos keeping those memories and respect alive for those people because we can talk about it's great to have a debut woman filmmaker it's great to have some women directors it's great to have some women artists but if you don't take care of the legacy and the history then we're constantly going to be rediscovering the same women artists the same women filmmakers and we're not we need to kind of keep them up there so I realized that I, I, I really want to make sure that this rage, which it is, is actually sort of focused and constructive and not just sort of like, I'm really annoyed <laughs> all the time. And I know certainly with my films, there have been stages where you could completely lose lose everything, like your temper or like even my sanity through the sheer sense of injustice that goes on. And so I feel like I'm not going to do that. I'm not because in a way then you, you, you could disappear. I'm not going to disappear and I'm, I'm not going to be invisible. I'm not going to let other people disappear or be invisible. So I'm certainly, <laughs> uh, that's, and, and, and I do think for me, like to, to take that 
that in terms of women filmmakers or, or, or now women artists with Audrey Amos is, seems sort of like the right way. Yeah. Other people disappear and vanish, but I think a lot more women. Yeah. I, I noticed on the credits uh, a woman filmmaker who hasn't disappeared, Jane Campion. I, saw, it was in, I was interested to see she was your exec producer. Um, I'm wondering how that relationship came around. Yeah, so um, I, a few years ago... I was asked by Radio 4 to, to it was the film programme, it was a whole programme, and to go on and they said uh, to come on and talk about my favourite film. And I chose Jane Campion's Sweetie, mm-hmm. um, and from, I think it's about 1989, <laughs> and, uh, and I went on and it was, the, it was a series of shows that they did but it was an early show so I'd not heard another one before and what I didn't realise is that they when you did it they were they were going to bring someone on maybe an actor from the show or something like that which they did to other people anyway so I went in it was a pre-record and I talked about Sweetie for a bit and then I, I was in like getting into full flow and they interrupted me it was Francine Stock and I thought oh I'm... and she went excuse me we've got someone on the phone for you from Berlin Carol and I thought well who's coming from Berlin you know anyway it was Jane Campion <laughs> and so Jane comes on and, and goes Carol you're my heroine too I love your films and I offered you to direct you know at Top of the Lake the second series but you never even got back to me and then anyway so then after that she emailed me and went look I'm really serious I I really support you and your work and you know and all of that so we became sort of a bit pen pal Uh, and then she was in town doing a BAFTA for Power the Dog and a BAFTA screening in London and I thought I'm gonna go and I let the producer know I was going and then at the end in the Q&A, they were like, we have to whisk Jane away, but we'll have a short Q&A. And then she got in the microphone. She went, is Carol Morley here at the, this BAFTA screening? Jane Campion said, and I'm like, I'm here. <laughs> so then I finally met her. I got given a Jane Campion T-shirt, which I put on, and we have photos with each other. <laughs> and then during the course of um, financing, uh, you know, the latest one, but Audrey Amy's type of style is Pirate King. It was very, very difficult to get the money. And um, and I wrote to Jane and I sent her all the stuff and the script and everything and the outline. And I went, could you come on board as exec producer? Because I think it might really help us get the money. And she went, I'm in. And it really did help. Well, good on Jane. Yeah, yeah. good on Jane. <laughs> well, I love her. Uh, I think I went over time, but yeah. thanks so much for chatting to me. I um, okay. really liked the film. And, yeah. uh, best of luck tonight. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you, know you very much. Hello again. Uh, thanks for listening to that. As Carol said, the Muriel Box screenings hopefully will be in various places around the UK soon, but the Carol and Muriel Radio 3 documentary is still available on the BBC Sounds app, and I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, thank you, Jamie, once again. Cheers, Pierre. Uh, and we'll be back in a week, actually. We're going to do one next week. So speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.